you guys start in 3, 2, 1. I went to college and my only major was a disappointment. I'm Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Are we gonna do like, intros? Yeah, sure, let's do intros. Like, uh, hi, I'm David and uh, I'm still in college and have yet to see my major as a disappointment. Oh no, I don't have a jokey joke. You don't have a joke? <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, I'm Genevieve. Um... <laughs> I think jokey joke was good, unless you want to... Welcome to Robots Into Guys, a queer reading of Transformers starting from Generation 1 all the way into Generation Now. We have just watched, the three of us, um, the first episode of the first season of the first generation of Transformers Robots in Disguise. And uh, we got something to say about it. Would anyone like to open the floor, or... Well, the thing about doing queer readings is that we have to examine three th things to determine if it's a queer narrative. If the narr what the narrative arc is, who the villain is, and our point of entry into the story. Because watching the first half of the pilot, I was a little confused about whose story it was as far as like determining a narrative arc. Well, I think a good reason for that is, I mean... Transformers was made to sell toys. And yes. And because of that, every character gets at least a shot of screen time in that first episode. Right. So So we have to determine is the if the queer narratives of the entire ensemble in that case Would which you... is going to pose kind of a challenge because in this first half of the pilot I definitely see queer subtext in some elements of dialogue of some characters, but I'm not seeing it across the board. I think it gets a good. My notes are useless. <laughs> no, don't worry. I just All watched my... the episode and jotted down whenever I thought something was gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. No, that's also my notes, and I'm not even gay. Should that be a thing that we bring up to the table right here, or is this sure? Um, alright. Would you, uh, would we- I'm bi. And genderqueer. <laughs> and I'm bi, and pronouns are he, him. Sorry, David, go ahead. I am, uh, straight, and, uh, my pronouns are he, him. So, I bring nothing to this discussion other than my stupid knowledge of Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> That's more or less why I'm here. The podcast was your idea. I guess, but that doesn't mean I bring anything to it. You're the one it. who truly loves Transformers. Huh? huh? You're the one who truly loves Transformers. This yes, is an obligation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, going on from that, um, so you said that the three points uh are are really like um. In determining a queer narrative, there's the narrative arc, like who the who villain it... is, and our point of entry into the story. So, like, we could start by, like, saying, like, narrative arc, like, I guess who the show is really following. Exactly. Whose story is it? But it, since it's an ensemble, we have to consider the queer implications of every Autobot's story. Because the Autobots seem to be the focus, even mm -hmm. though 
it's interesting that there's like an equal amount of time spent between Autobots and Decepticons in this first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start on the Autobot side with uh, Wheeljack and Bumblebee. Then, and you're Bumblebee. Ga- Bumblebee. <laughs> Your favorite character. I don't know if it's your favorite character. We'll get around to that. <laughs> I do like what appears to be a... Um, I mean, it's only the first, like, two characters talking in the show, but I do like the camaraderie between Wheeljack and Bumblebee. It's a strangely tender, like, cold open. Yeah! He, Bumblebee goes inside Wheeljack. He does? Mm-hmm. At the, uh, yeah, about three minutes in, he enters Wheeljack through his rear end. <laughs> as as you said the first time we watched it together, Genevieve. He loads up. <laughs> yeah, Wheeljack literally takes a load. Oh yeah, I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> but there is that very suggestive frame where Wheeljack is holding those rods right in front of, those power rods right in front of Bumblebee's face. Oh yeah, no, Bumblebee's the one holding them. Yeah, but it's kind of like... He's holding up his massive dick. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of, um... I took a screenshot of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, It is a very suggestive framing for the beginning of the episode. And, um... And the rods are unloaded into the back of Wheeljack as well. Yes. Yes. Um... We're already getting, like, a suggestion of Bumblebee's relationship to Wheeljack in the queer sense. There's a lot of ball-like imagery in the planet Cybertron, like, in the setting. Yeah, I had that in my notes, that it was, like, the setting of Cybertron is very suggestive. Um, I think... It's suggestive of this atmosphere of, like, hyper-masculinity as well it really sets up with having these more phallic buildings and phallic structures giving this idea of that this is a man's world or, or at least coded masculine mm-hmm. I so mean, all are going to be masculine in some respect i mean i'm sure the discussion of gender for robots that don't understand gender is going to be popping up a lot <laughs> in this podcast but right um Definitely with this first uh, pairing of Bumblebee and Wheeljack, the, um, there's definitely a tenderness there. We even get some great lines uh, between them uh, when Wheeljack asks, what, asks what's wrong when uh, Bumblebee goes in, goes in his butt. And I, I think it's my crankshaft? Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah. oh, no, I think I it's think, my rear axle. Yeah, I think it's my real axle. And then uh, Wheeljack responds, hold on to your crankshaft. That's right, yeah. Crankshaft. Um, now, this is something that is going to pop up later with uh, Wheeljack. When we get to Earth, do you think there's anything to this relationship that Wheeljack takes on a much slimmer form for his, uh, for his car mode? Do you think he's flexing for Bumblebee? Well, it would seem to... That would seem to be in the text, but then again, they downplay Wheeljack and Bumblebee in the second half of the episode to focus mm-hmm. more on uh, my boys, uh, Cliff Jumper and Hound. <laughs> Cliff Jumper and Hound. Um, oh, we'll get to Cliff Jumper and Hound. We could act. Mm, I would actually say Cliff Jumper and Hound is the next biggest 
uh, dive into the Autobots character besides maybe Optimus. Optimus doesn't get a lot of time, really, in this episode. I was kind of thinking about, I don't know, maybe, Gigi, you can think about this, but, like, the the first episode of House MD, where, like, people talk a lot about House, but, like, you don't see a lot of House. Oh, it's been so long since I've seen the first episode of House. Oh, okay. Yeah, people do talk a lot about House in that show when he's not there. Yeah. And it was a lot of that where, like, we need to get this to Optimus, or what would Optimus think about Yeah, like, establishing leadership, I guess. I think, yeah, I think now that we're on the topic of Optimus, we should talk about Optimus in this first episode. Because he's the next character to really pop up. He really... It's interesting, and this is uh, one of my thoughts about the show that actually made me want to start this podcast... The person that I think Optimus actually exchanges the most line when lines with in this episode is Megatron. Yes. <laughs> I definitely saw that. Um, I think Megatron has a big old crush on Optimus, and he's acting out to get his attention. I think they're exes. Oh. And this is just like an exes feud. <laughs> but I think both theories are very valid. Well, yeah, let's talk about, because in queer narratives, we have to talk about who the villain is. For example, if there's a queer villain in a story, then chances are that it's going to reinforce some form of hege- hegemonic heteronormativity. Right, well, I noticed there are certain trends in Decepticon actions that do actually betray a real level of queer coding. For example, Megatron's interior of his ship is ultraviolet, one of the colors on the bi flag. Mm-hmm. Um, I can drop some Transformers lore for you. The the Transformers background lore of Megatron is that he was actually originally a coal miner on mm-hmm. the uh, or a energon miner on the planet of um Cybertron, who then became a gladiator. I believe in one story arc, and I think it's actually in the TV show Transformers Prime, um, which I've heard is good, and we'll get to much later, but um, Optimus Prime was actually one of his followers in the early days. So that's, do you think that might be the, is that the root of your X's theory? I guess that's the root of my X's theory, but it also is a good, uh, knowing more just Megatron's background, it's good for establishing the question of villainy here. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because there are certain moments um, in that backstory that do paint him sort of you would want to empathize. On the other hand, Megatron is a resource-hungry elitist. He's in just to flex on Optimus He's made all of his robots creatures of the sky. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they look down on Optimus's Autobot. Uh, it's one of those, like, good It's theor- very shady. <laughs> it's one of those good theories gone bad, is what it is. It's very much, like, one of those, like, could have been good turned into fascism. <laughs> Well, it does seem like there's a certain amount of villainy that's a manifested form of queer subjugation. 
because we do get the really, really wonderful line. He says, we must suck this planet Earth dry. (laughs) And it's a highly suggestive and highly uh, sexual line, but all the energy has been channeled into this evil scheme of gaining natural resources. And you can't help but wonder if some of that energy is being misdirected somehow. You were about to say something, Genevieve? Yeah. Can I be honest? I don't understand what the conflict is. It's like the no, that's a good Decepticons, point. they're like, we're better robots. But they're all just robots, and I don't understand why they don't like each other. Um, <laughs> what is the real beef here? No, they live in the same place. That's very fair. Um, I mean, you know, at its base, the conflict is that two sides sold more toys, but, um, (laughs) uh, but, um, I guess part of it is that, um, (laughs) it's sort of, uh, um, I couldn't help thinking about what Lindsay Ellis said in her Transformers episode, where she's talking, talked about Starscream, how the characters act like children a lot of the times, Mm -hmm. and, children will have fights with like two sides where it's not really about anything Mm -hmm. but it's just like fun i guess if we compare the conflict in transformers a lot less to a war but much more to uh, a fight like a personal fight one between children or one between a couple it makes a lot more sense um would you agree i love it when uh, Optimus and Megatron get like face to face at the end. Yeah, I yeah. think I think I wrote in my notes. Uh, uh, now kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um, A screenshot of that. Mm-hmm. So, w- would you say that we've established the villain in Megatron, or just or what makes, or do we want to say what makes him a villain? Well, we know why he's a villain. He's resource-hungry and mercenary, and mm-hmm. well, since the Autobots are positioned as the force of good, naturally their opposition is their force of evil. Opposition doesn't always mean antagonist. It's something I kind of have a problem with, with like the way that people are teaching script writing these days. Like Your opposition isn't necessarily antagonistic. They just want the a different goal mm-hmm. um, but in this case there is an actual antagonism and attack on the goals of the autobots mm-hmm. and to go back to what kind of genevieve brought up about this being more of like less of a war and more of like a personal conflict it more paints megatron less as a a war leader and more as like the perfect description of an abusive partner in every way that he acts. He takes and doesn't give. He uh, commands. He doesn't lead. <laughs> yeah, he's constantly putting people down like Starscream. Yeah. That's true, but let's also not forget that there's uh, something highly political about what Megatron is doing. What he's doing, taking the resources of the Earth, is mm-hmm. imperialism. It's mm-hmm. colonialism, basically. Mm-hmm. And in that way, there's a lot of positioning on more than one level of antagonism and villainy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, do we want to use that to move into talking about Starscream's relationship with Megatron, now that we've talked a little bit about uh, Megatron and Optimus Prime? It is so sweet, a genuinely sweet moment when he heals Megatron with the healing beam inside the ship. All right, so I'm going to ruin it for you. Please do. That's not Starscream, that's Firecracker. <laughs> Firecracker's the first one to get revived? Yeah, I don't know why Firecracker's the first why? one. Why? <laughs> My brother! I love how you're looking at your notes and, like, this just ruined an, a, a whole, like, three paragraphs of emotional moment discussion between Starscream and... What I thought was the seed for the whole... Uh, for their relationship, because they kind of downplay it in this in this first episode. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, firecracker. Long this time will come, Megatron. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> firecracker is what is called a seeker, which is the squad squadron led by Starscream, and originally they were clones of Starscream, I believe. So I don't know if that brings you... <laughs> Jordan's just like... Oh God, that's confusing AF. Yeah, that's why I think they cut it. Eventually, back in Transformers uh, Animated, they go back to uh, being clones of Starscream. And just to kind of tickle you with checking out that show, uh, when Starscream accidentally clones himself, one of them is a female. And they, they all represent parts of Starscream's personality. And I think we're going to have a field day when we get to that episode. But oh, yeah, doesn't he hit on his female self? Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, Same, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's like a lot. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the relationship between Starscream and, Starscream and Megatron. Um, Starscream's such a brat, but I love him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's trying to wrestle some form of control out of this relationship that he has no control out of. I love it when he's just, like, shooting blindly at the, uh, what is it called, the Iagon, and then he ends up, like, turning everything back on and reviving all the Autobots. <laughs> 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 I'm saying goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> um, it almost feels like Starscream is someone who was abusive in his last relationship, and now he's in a relationship with Megatron, where he's now the abused. I can see that. However, I mean, they're both not great in this relationship. <laughs> By the way, now, I think it's now established in our canon of this show that they are dating, yeah? Oh, absolutely. Okay. It's a very toxic relationship. Oh yeah, totally. Because, I mean, why else keep him around? He's, like, obviously trying to betray you, but, uh, he must be- Starscream must be a great cuddler. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain elements of his personality, though, that are, like, quite attractive. Mm-hmm. Well, if Megatron is attracted to power, he's definitely- like, he needs- later in the episode, he needs- uh, Starscream's Null Ray to make, to get power out of, um, to like, I, I guess it's part of the process of getting power, these Energon cubes. So he needs Starscream in some regard. There's some element of power that Starscream has that Megatron needs. 
I was just gonna say that he's a good listener. <laughs> what do you find attractive about Starscream? He's a good listener. He's a great listener. He lets Megatron talk. He lets everyone talk. He's he's just so receptive to everything, and he internalizes it. <laughs> oh. He takes the initiative. Mm-hmm. Everyone I... kind of just shuts him down. Yeah. Uh, I would like Which to go. I enjoy. I'd like to go back to my point of uh, Megatron being attracted to power in in Starscream, mm. but um, because I believe that it is kind of indicated to us that he's like the second most powerful of the Decepticons. He's obviously second in command, right? Yeah. Unless we start talking, and I think this is going to be our next character we would talk about is uh, Soundwave. Who, I love Soundwave. Soundwave, who weirdly may have the most screen time in the first episode. Yeah. He's the only one who talks like a robot, but he, like, announces what he's doing like he's a machine. Mm-hmm. And he just has a bunch of little guys in him. <laughs> he had a bunch I of little guys. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's um, a whole can of worms there. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of guys sitting in his chest. As much as Starscream is second in command, Soundwave seems to be Megatron's right-hand man, which makes me wonder, does Soundwave have a crush on Megatron? He's a very dependable twink hunk, I think. (laughs) We do get a twink transformer in the form of, what is the little uh, cassette tape boy that he has inside of him? Does he name him? He does have a name. Yeah. Is it, um... Rumble. That's it. Rumble. But, uh... My notes, <laughs> my notes literally say Rumble is cool as shit. Put Starscream in his place. <laughs> I love how Rumble looks like a little kid when he's talking to Star. <laughs> no, um, Megatron's the best Starscream. <laughs> it looks like you're having an argument with your younger brother or something. Can you guys hear when I eat? Oh, <laughs> should I not do that? <laughs> Probably not. Just chomp, chomp, chomp. However, this part might get edited out because uh, also uh, Gib and Leo just walked into the apartment. Soundwave is the most mature. He's at the only one actually seems to be like getting shit done. <laughs> Megatron. If Soundwave was a character today, he'd be called AirPod. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And each AirPod would be one of his boys. Ooh, yes. What's his second boy? He's got three. He's got um, oh. He's got Rumble, Laser Beats. What? I mean, they fit up in there. Three beautiful boys. <laughs> There's actually four in total. And I think the fourth one gets added later. And the fourth one is just, like, a different color variation on Rumble. Rumble. Here's the thing. When they first said Rumble's name, I thought his name was Grundle. (laughs) And I was like, you can't name a character that. Crimes of Rumblewald. (laughs) I guess we're talking about Rumble now. Let's talk about Rumble. He's very strong, very useful, very smart, oh. very cute, yep. bite-sized, adorable, yep. punky. 
<laughs> not afraid to assert himself. Definitely. Are you Which like? I know we all love in a man. <laughs> <laughs> um. He also wears cool shades. Uh, yeah, he's got that style. I think our two main scenes with Rumble are one the debate with sound with not the debate with um uh Starscream and two the scene where Rumble is fighting a man and we see that Rumble is man sized. <laughs> and then oh, he I didn't catch that. And then he slaps a child. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, that was Rumble. I guess I didn't register at the time. Um, which is very funny to me. Is that the scene where, like, the construction worker shouts, get off my dad? Yeah, and then Rumble turns around and is like, bam, and slaps him in the face. Wait, that was Rumble? Iconic. Love it. Rumble is very assertive, and I think we'll get more of him. And Yeah, that's Rumble. Rumble doesn't have much relationship in this episode that we haven't really talked about outside of him being very assertive towards Starscream and him living the inside of Soundwave. I'm interested in seeing how Soundwave's little guys get on with him, like, more one-on-one. Mm-hmm. All we get from it, really, is that uh, Soundwave has pets, and that's very cute of Soundwave. I don't know who anyone is. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we'll get it. We'll get it eventually. Um, it is the first yeah, episode, and if you say everyone's name multiple times, <laughs> it's really fascinating pilot writing. Well, I mean, it's pilot writing for a toy line. Here's a question for you. Who do you think Laserbeak and, uh, I think his name are Ra- is Ravage, the panther, do you think they belong to uh, Soundwave, or do you think they belong to Rumble? These are Soundwave's boys. Uh, he's got a... He loves, he loves animals. Uh-huh. Do you think if Rumble and Soundwave are in a relationship... Cat, huh? He's a cat dad. He's a cat dad. Do you think that Rumble appreciate if if Rumble and Soundwave are in a relationship, they do go everywhere together. He lives mm. inside of What if Rumble is like Soundwave's son who he carries inside him, sort of like a kangaroo pouch situation? Ooh. Mm. Ooh, is Soundwave a single father? Rumble uh-huh. is like this angsty teenage son. And does Megatron not see him as attractive because he has a son? Oh. Comes with baggage. Comes with a, comes with a lot of baggage. Um, At some point, can we talk about the human boys? I guess so, but they have very little role in this first episode. The construction. Oh, look at their outfits! <laughs> <laughs> Those pants are tight as hell. They, you think they really doing construction in that getup? <laughs> I guess I do get a bit of caress those curves so good. They look like they're wearing stripper clothes. <laughs> um so I do actually want to move on to I think the last Decepticon that gets any real screen time within this episode. Unless you want to talk about the construction boys a little more. Um Spike is another hot twink. Spike uh wait, which one's Spike? The young one. The boy? Yeah. Yeah. The boy who rescued his daddy. His daddy is a hunk. Ooh, do you think, if we're going with the theory of Rumble being Soundwave's son, is the showdown between Rumble and Spike a sort of, a kind of defending of the father on both the hats? Ooh. Oh, <laughs> complex. 
They're like foils of each other. Mm. Right. Or alternately, Rumble just calls Soundwave Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Ooh. I like the idea that he's his son and Megatron won't doesn't like him because of baggage. <laughs> but I guess to each his own. Megatron has so many options, but he's so hung up on Optimus. We do get kind of uh well, there's not enough to really bring that up yet. Um I was going to say we kind of get a son-father relationship between Bumblebee and Optimus, but not enough of that yet. Is Optimus Bumblebee's mama? Because <laughs> he told him there are days like this. Ooh, Optimus is everyone's drag mom. Oh, very true. <laughs> I definitely see it. Um, the house of Autobot. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, I like that. We got one more boy on the Decepticon side to go over, and that's uh, the guy that stays behind, Shockwave. Shockwave is fully gay. (laughs) Please state your hypothesis. He just stays inside and cleans all day. (laughs) I love him. So you do like Shockwave, even though we get- Shockwave is such a good boy. Megatron's like, stay behind and watch the uh, watch over the planet, and then he's like, I am like, fine. I'm fine with this. Here's a question for you. Um, do you think Shockwave becomes just like <laughs> they're on that planet for four million years, <laughs> and Cybertron's just left behind? Do you think just Shockwave just kind of becomes like the president of fucking? <laughs> Cybertron for four hundred years. A new era of peace without civil wars is is ushered in under Shockwave. Under Shockwave, who does not leave the house. Finally, Shockwave is like the Queen of England. He delivers like speeches with like a gold piano in the back, and like gives <laughs> cream sh- cream sherry. He's so dainty. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shockwave is very good. He's also. Probably the brightest uh, uh, in coloration of the Decepticons. He is full purple from head to yeah. toe. He's fully the ultraviolet that the interior of the ship is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Makes me wonder if he did the interior decorating. <laughs> I love how much you've gotten from Shockwave for his, like, one line in the show, which is, he's yes, Lord for, Megatron. He's there for, like, one scene. The scene lasts, like, 40 seconds, and I'm already, like... That's a gay. <laughs> oh, Shockwave's pretty. I know, right? I don't know. I didn't remember him. Um, There's so many bots. I will say, Shockwave also does have a slightly um, different comic to uh, show Bible description. And a great example of that is... Um, there's a cover of Shockwave from the original comics where he's, uh, he was also more backstabbing in the original comics, and in the original comics he was, like, their head experimental scientist that would, mm-hmm. like, run crazy experiments. And, um, there's a comic cover which it's just Shockwave with, like, one of his hands as, like, a laser beam, and he's etched into the wall, because the, fir- the, the comic heading says the Transformers, and then underneath it Soundwave has written into a brick wall, are all dead. 
Can I find that picture? Hold on. Yeah, there it is. I don't know if you can see that. That's that's. <laughs> Shady lady. Yeah. The Transformers are all dead. You love an emo boy. I feel like Shockwave is uh, the stay-at-home type that could definitely throw a slap if you came came at him. Oh, 100%. I think we've gone through most every Decepticon that's brought up in this episode. So let's move on back to the Autobots with some of my favorite boys from the episode. Hound and Cliff Yeah. <laughs> you took my thunder. <laughs> so, does anyone want to start out with Hound and Cliff Jumper, or should I Cliff Jump right into it? I really love the line from Cliff Jumper. I want to boot some Decepticon right in his turbocharger. That's I very. Love that line. That's a very good line. And then Hound's like the easy Cliff Jumper. <laughs> I, I very much imagine a relationship between these two, although uh, there is a relationship that pops up later with Hound that I see more of, but anyways, the idea that Cliffjumper always has to be held back by Hound. I actually... I they balance each other out. Yeah. I see Cliffjumper and uh, Hound more as two queer friends that may not be interested in each other. Sure. I don't know There's how you stuff in the text to support that. One of my favorite Cliff Jumper lines is when he says very, very tenderly, "Don't fall in love with it, Hound." Yeah, I wrote that down too. Oh, okay. You know what? You are right. That's fair. No, but I'm using that to support your hypothesis. I think oh. maybe that sort of like they just want to stay friends, right? Or it's this yeah. element of someone more experienced kind of coaching a younger queer individual through all the trials and tribulations that come with that. Mm -hmm. Um, now, fun fact, Hound is played by John Goodman in the movies. John Goodman, queer icon. <laughs> um, That's a good man. Good man. Uh, I do love how tender the uh, concern from Cliff Jumper about Hound Falling over the side of a cliff, which what? is which is very funny to me that Cliff Jumper is not the one that falls over a cliff. <laughs> it is very sweet. It's my great on summer's day. It is like rain on your wedding day. Oh, I got the words wrong. That's embarrassing. All right, so I believe we've discussed. Every person discussed the villain. What was the other thing? Uh, so our point of entry into the story. How you see a story is determined by its beginning in relation to everything else. So how does Transformers Generation 1 begin? Well, it sh begins with a demonstration of the abilities of the Transformers to disguise themselves. Uh -huh. And then we see the Autobots fleeing a their world torn apart by civil war mm -hmm. and our point of entry to the actual narrative is the autobots fleeing so maybe that has something to do with an element of persecution or um 
marginalization, ostracization, alienation mm -hmm. from their surroundings, which is a very, which is uh, a queer thematic. Um, I guess a large part of that question is why Autobots are being ejected, but uh, I do agree with you that um represents a good uh being a uh, marginalized and thrown out. <laughs> mm -hmm. So on these basis, I I think I can say with almost complete certainty that we do have a queer narrative forming with this first episode. With with that, should we move on to our our fun segments that are at the end of our episode? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, how about let's start with our uh, crush of the week? It's time for uh, our segment, Auto Crush of the Week, where we discuss <laughs> who captured our hearts and minds with their robot bodies. All right. How about uh, you start, Jordan? Okay. It may seem obvious based on the rest of the episode, but Shockwave did, in fact, capture my heart. I've got a soft spot for a silent giant mm -hmm. and... <laughs> Um, a, a little, a little purple guy who stays inside and cleans all day. It me. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you love a big queen. You know I love a big queen. <laughs> and he does turn into a gun. Is his alternate mode. And you got a lot. And you got to be happy with that. I will say an interesting thing about Shockwave is that unlike every other Transformer in the show, he never takes an Earth alternate form. That's right. He knows who he is. Mm -hmm. He is Shockwave. <laughs> and I love that. Uh, That's why Shockwave is my auto crush of the week. Alright. Um, do you want to go next, uh, Genevieve? Sure. I love Rumble. <laughs> He's cute and small and powerful. And even his name is cute. Um, yeah. All around. All Starscream in his place. <laughs> yeah. You're he like... has a cool dad. <laughs> <laughs> An important criteria. <laughs> Here's the thing. Do you think if you went over to Rumble's house, uh, his dad would have soda for you? <laughs> Soundwave would have soda. <laughs> Absolutely. And you could pet uh, Ravage. Yeah, I could play with Ravage and um, whatever the bird's name is. Mm -hmm. Soundwave would definitely bring us, like, order us a pizza, mm -hmm. drive us to the movies, you know? Uh, this is very good criteria for your crush of the week, that he's got a good dad. <laughs> I'll move, I'll say my crush of the week, and it's gotta be Cliff Jumper. I love, I love that boy. Um, oh, can we talk about uh, towards the beginning where I think it's Cliff Jumper where he's like, "Oh, leaking lubricant." I'm leaking lubricant. And I, there's an actual ejaculate coming out. Of I believe that might be Ironhide. I'm not entirely sure who we will get more of in the later episodes. I wrote Jump Boy question mark. Jump Boy question? Yeah, uh, I do love Jump Boy. Uh, predominantly, I love, uh, that scene where we cut back to him, and he has taken out this massive gun that does not yes! fit anywhere on his body, because he is very small. And I, li I like that, I like that ambition in a man, that he's just willing to jump into it. <laughs> just end the war right there and then. 
No, I was just thinking about how their rocket ship with its laser beam definitely had an inscribed penis in the sky. The one that you were describing is in fact a, a giant space dick coming in a giant space ass. It, yes, I did not mention the two colliding asteroids that fully form a booty. <laughs> which is fascinating. Um, but I guess moving on. Now it's time for the segment OTP, one Transformers pairing, where we pick two Transformers that we ship for the week's episode. Uh, Dave, uh I'll let Gigi go ahead. This yeah. Time, of course. I think mine was pretty obvious, Cliffjumper and Hound. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time I wrote, they're both cars, Heart, but then I realized that all of them are cars. <laughs> 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 they all became cars on Earth. I love Mater. <laughs> yeah, um, I just thought they were cute and they bounced each other out. There was a little flirting going on. Cliff Jumper kind of helped save Hound when he fell off the cliff. Uh huh. That's a, that is a good pairing. I would definitely. They're both cars. They're both cars. They have so much in common. <laughs> they really do watch each other's back, and that is very cute. Um, Jordan, how about how about you go next with your pairing of the week? Well, at the risk of repeating, Genevieve, I do have to agree. It's Cliff Jumper and Hound for me as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's that moment where he says, "Punch a Decepticon right in their turbocharger," is just loaded with sexual tension. And that Cliff Jumper found a way to um, assuage Hound's anxieties was really, really sweet. Um, you know when Cliff Jumper said that Hound was like, I wish he'd do that to me. Do you think Cliff my turbocharger? Do you think Cliff Jumper is into Decepticons? I think he's into I think he's a dom. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he want he has, he's fantasizes about dominating some Decepticons. Exactly, it's it's more domination fantasy than full out affection for Decepticons. Then we would have something that's way more loaded with um uh with a political element to it, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because Cliffjumper is um or no Hound's shorthand is decidedly military which is a culture which highly prizes masculinity and violence, but does, but is sort of a breeding ground for male-male bonding relationships, both friendly and romantic. Mm -hmm. So I think that background, the stage is really set for Cliff Jumper and Hound to have this really tender male-male relationship even if it isn't romantic there's still that uh affection to it that makes them mm-hmm. my otp for the week i think the standard that we're setting here is that the um in our kind of personal head canon, the characters don't have to be like in a relationship to be our pairing of the week right and i think mine isn't actually hound and cliff jumper i think mine is wheeljack and bumblebee I really Good like choice. I really like that sweet uh make it out alive moment in the beginning that kind of brings out this very uh passionate <laughs> love between them in the beginning. Yeah, right behind you. <laughs> it's almost as if it's one of those scenes from like a freaking 
uh, James Bond movie where two of the characters like make it out of a death life or death situation and then they bone. <laughs> One of those situations that I'm sure would never actually happen in real life, but it is nice to see. <laughs> it's so nice. It's a ten. It's a tense moment, and that they find a way to calm each other down through communication, through really sincere communication with another, really is telling. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that moment. Um, speaking of wheeljack, <laughs> we got our last segment. Now it's, time, now it's time for our favorite segment, wheeljack. Off to that later, where we identify the sexiest moment. In any given Transformers episode. So we'll start off with David this time. Okay, so, um, mine's gotta be that scan over when they're all waking up, and it looks like they've all fallen asleep after an orgy. They are just lying on top of each other. They are just, like, sprawled, all, sprawled all over the room. They look like they need water. That's gotta be my wheel jack off to it later moment, because, God, that's just, ah. Uh, I mean, right before it, they're all literally wrestling. That's a very good. That's a very good point. Um, and then they just kind of all fall asleep. <laughs> um, and then they just the kind of have. Years. They just kind of have a four million year after orgy nap on top of each other. They work hard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> work hard, play hard. I are is everyone? Are you also thinking of the scene from The Simpsons where they go to a metal factory? We work hard. We play hard. <laughs> Anyways, that's my moment. I had I had a few. I think my top would probably be when um the Decepticon ship was like chasing after the Iagon and then their boarding chute just like penetrated that Iagon bussy. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that you have, you said you can't remember a lot of the characters' names, but you do in fact remember the name of the Autobot ship. That is I, not I wrote it down. That's the, I was like, how do I spell this? And I, that's why I remember it. The Iagon. Yeah. Release the boarding chute. And it's just like this long tube. It's just... It just penetrates. Yeah. <laughs> Super hot, super juicy. Did you want to bring up another one of your moments, or did uh, sure. or was that I, your top? I would okay. love to. Oh, go for it. Um, my another one was when Rumble was on um Spike's daddy, uh -huh. and he had him like pinned against a wall. That mm -hmm. was very suggestive. And then Spike is behind him, kind of like they're kind of like doubling down on his daddy or something. Now, you have listed just now incest as one of your wheeljack <laughs> off to that later moment of the week. Not, not direct incest. Just kind of daddyism. <laughs> just like the son is also there with the third party. Like, father and son are both enjoying this third party of their sexual experience. So the son is cucking is what you're saying. Being cucked. No, it's a, it's an um, open three-way. So it is insane. <laughs> okay. 
you know what? I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I don't mean to judge here with the. We'll jack off to it later. <laughs> moment a judgment of the week. free zone. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I don't mean to judge incest on this Transformers podcast. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so mine is a line of dialogue. Uh, it's at the very end of the episode when Optimus Prime says in the most loving voice ever, and it's the moment that made me really, really excited for the rest of the show. He says, grab on to me. Keep your heads above water. My heart melted. (laughs) (laughs) That, That moment really touched me, too. It's so beautiful, even though it is literally keeping their heads above water. <laughs> you want it on a goddamn poster with Optimus and, like, Prime giving you a thumbs up. Yes, and then maybe he's, like, holding a book, too. <laughs> and he's got, like, some professor glasses on. Yes. Well, you know, my biggest crush is Ray Fiennes, because I love, like, a sophisticated, intuitive guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that moment where Optimus Prime says, grab onto me, keep your heads above water, just really struck me in this very personal way, where I was like, do I have a crush on Optimus Prime now? Well, <laughs> if you did, I do not think you would be the first scene as how his voice actor is almost <laughs> designed to be tantalizingly, like, uh, warm. Tantalizing? Sorry. Uh, tantalizingly warm. Tantalizing. <laughs> Tantalizing Robot Daddy. Here's the thing, I didn't find his voice to be that mellifluous up until that point, until that very line, where I was like, oh, I get it. This is why he's leader. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's so reassuring and so... <laughs> okay. Okay, so... I don't know if this will go in the episode, but that ding you just heard that uh, screwed up our audio was my dad sending me a text saying, hey, look at this chair. He sent me a picture of a chair. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good note to end this episode on. I've been David Ford. Why have you turned off your phone shit this entire time? You answered a call that took us like 20 minutes. Okay, (laughs) You can follow me on Twitter at Elefante111. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook at GG Vines. That's G E G E Vines, like a grapevine. I don't fuck with those eyes. I'm not GG like the movie. <laughs> fuck that. Fuck you if you think that's my name. Actually, it's okay. I don't care that much. Uh, and, I, and I've been David Thorpe. You find me uh, on YouTube at David Thorpe. <laughs> I don't do that much social media, but I hope hopefully that'll change. All right, bye everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Transformers, robots, robots into gods. gods.